Rodgers almost going to fall for Martinez. Antonov trying to get there. Martinez finishes to give away the match. It's an absolute peach from the Paraguayan, Miguel Almiron. Atlanta United in just their second year of existence have won MLS Cup. Special final Joe Patrick, it's been four years. Did you know this? No. What? It's been four years since Atlanta United has scored five goals in a game. Last really? time they did it twenty nineteen against I think it was Houston. Uh yeah. It's been a second. The Houston, the Houston game when they switched to the uh back three. Remember that? And uh, Houston had the red no, card. Actually. Uh, Houston got red carded like in the opening minutes of the game. And then that's like what spurred their kind of turnaround of the season. They like went to a back three and did all that jazz. That was the Justin Miram at left back or left wing back. The start of that. Ah, okay. Whole thing. Gotcha. That checks out. Wow. See, I didn't even remember this. That's how far we had to go back Any, to, to anything, find a five goal any, game for Atlanta. United. Anything pre COVID is like a different dimension. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, Atlanta United into a different dimension last night. It felt like into a dimension that that felt very similar at times to to what we saw in 2018, but with its own its own special flavors, its own accents, its own unique twist on what we've come to know and love about the best versions of Atlanta United. Five one winners in that one against Portland. We're going to get all of it, but first we got to mention that Kirk Castle was on the intro. The song is "Chances." You can find him on the internet wherever you find internet. Music. Uh, go check out the Patreon, patreon.com slash five stripe final. We'll have plenty of stuff. We had an interview with Michael Parkhurst last week. We'll continue to have all sorts of interesting things posted there throughout the season as the team continues to to play really, really good ball. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, good Lord, man. Uh, I don't even know. It's again, like last week, we, we didn't have anything to complain about. And so, like, what do we even talk about? Yeah. So last week was kind of, I feel like it was a bit of like a coming out party for Atlanta United just with the way they played. But I think that that second half of the Charlotte game, the fact that it was kind of so sleepy because they had built that first half lead, you know, kind of made it, it kind of uh, maybe took the shine off of it a little bit. Um, But I feel like this was a real statement and a real kind of turn back to this old Atlanta United feeling. And it's not just about scoring the goals, but it's about, to me at least, it was seeing the players continuing to just pour forward. And it's like every player wanted to get themselves on the score sheet. They wanted to make it a party. That intent to just keep on applying the pressure throughout the 90 minutes, to me, is what made it feel like that kind of, you know, quote unquote, old Atlanta United again. They hit the gas and never pulled off. After that first goal, they hit a gear where they started finding the kinds of chances that we've been hoping for them to find for, it feels like forever. And when that happened, the crowd responded. And when that happened, the players responded and the crowd responded a little more and it all looped into itself and turned into that same kind of feeling that, you know, when we had Michael Parkhurst on the show last week, he mentioned that feeling. He mentioned the feeling that every time Atlanta United got the ball and the best versions of themselves in 2017, 2018, the crowd not tensed up, but the crowd got onto the front of their seat and realized they might be about to see something special. And not only was that feeling there last night, but you got to see some damn special things. Holy smokes. I mean, we're like I said, we're going to get into all of it, but uh, some of the goals we saw last night, it's not just the Amada free kick, which absurd on yeah. every level. <laughs> it's, the goal that Jurgos finally scored after nearly having multiple goals on very close offside calls, you know, mm-hmm. it, huge to have people be actually offside for once. We'll, we'll <laughs> right. talk about that more well, too. Yeah. Um, but to, to play that switch to Louise, who then plays another crossfield switch to Caleb Wiley, who then plays an inch perfect pass, an inch perfect cross right to the head of Jurgos Akamaki's in the box after Jurgos, like, calls for it like an alley-oop you know Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah just unreal unreal all of it it's like yeah you couldn't have drawn up a lot of this stuff any better you know it's like they they execute and and that's the difference to me I, i think we had somebody who asked about this um and we'll talk a little bit more about it later but you know 
to me, it's just this team is really starting to execute on a level that they never were able to in the past. I think a lot of these things are things that Gonzalo Pineda has wanted to do just in the way he wants to see his team play. But I think for a lot of reasons, they haven't been able to execute. Obviously, the injuries played a big part of that last year. I think they just clearly didn't have the, you know, they had a different roster that I think didn't have quite have the pieces that they needed to be able to execute on this level. But yeah, I mean, Saturday night was just I mean, that was the best execution of a game plan we've seen Atlanta United have gosh I don't know in a long time again and I feel like we said this a little bit kind of out, out after that Charlotte game just the way that they were pressing and doing those kinds of things but I think this was even more gratifying to see because it's like what they were doing with the ball just creating chances and taking advantage of opportunities yeah no, I mean they weren't like Charlotte had some critical errors right that made yeah. you kind of go you know okay well yeah Atlanta forced those but at the same time Maybe they, they got a little bit lucky, caught a couple breaks. This wasn't that. This was just an outright molly whopping. And that's what that's what we've been hoping for. That's what we've been hoping for. Let's dive into all of it right good. now. And sports prime. Sports prime. Game time. All right, that's enough of that. Sports prime game time. Joe, Patrick, and man, uh, where do we even start? Let's start at the first goal. Let's start at the first goal. How about that? Sure. Uh, Tiago Amada gets the ball, goes on Almiron, kind of like bounced off like three or four people. Yeah. You know, so before it kind of got to the right spot. That I feel like just to high, key in on that little moment right there, like that to me was like Tiago Almada being able to kind of read the flight and the bounce of the ball kind of better than the other players around him and being able to corral that. I think, you know, the Port- a Portland player made a mistake there that allowed him the opportunity to gain control of the ball there. But I mean, he's just so crafty in those little positions. You know, he's not going to come away with the ball in that the way that he did there every time, but to have a player like him, who's able to yeah, take possession of the ball in a kind of attacking way like where he's you know facing forward and dribbling and obviously able to to lay that pass out in front to Wiley uh, it's just it's super impressive and Atlanta is very thankful to have a player like him it broke the game open it broke the game open in a major way I mean Atlanta only had one shot before that yeah 0.03 xg chance yeah and you know also on Wiley Again, this goal just reinforces what we've been seeing so far this year, but something about him, he's just so good at his his uh, his uh, spatial awareness, his just soccer intelligence of where like knowing when he can take advantage of a situation and making those runs. Again, we've been talking about it a lot kind of leading into the season, but just his ability to be that kind of threatening player making those runs. He doesn't need to be the most sparkling technician on the ball. If he's making those runs, creating the opportunities for Tiago Amato to make those passes in, he's going to have his fair share of one-on-ones, and quite clearly, he's well adept at scoring them, and he's been doing that so far this season. There's just such a, an increased level of confidence and an increased level of calm in front of goal for him, I mean, and it's clearly manifesting. Clearly. It, unreal. Unreal. I'm just going to say unreal a bunch today. That, that's all I he, can really um, do. Yeah, I... I <laughs> um, I think they said on the broadcast, but his first t- his first touch and taking the pass, it kind of it was a little light and the ball got under his feet a little bit. But a really good job from him in kind of figuring out a way to shoot that ball correctly, despite the fact that it was a little bit underneath his feet. And, um, you know, he kind of like started step. And then I think it was smart to then take it to the near post. Um, yeah, just a nice finish. Yeah, I don't think last year's Caleb Wiley takes that shot. That may be a bit, like, reductive, but he had the confidence and the understanding of the situation and the selfishness that comes along with being a really good player that kind of coerced him into taking that shot at that point. Yeah, I thought I was going to lay it off. I thought it was a clear layoff, and Mm -hmm. I didn't know exactly if the spacing was was right at that point Mm -hmm. for it to work perfectly, and Caleb said, you know what, I'll, I'll just do it myself, and that's extremely impressive for a kid his age he might not even be in that area last year like he might not be making that run like he probably would be he i mean he had a similar goal like that the first goal he scored in mls which was the season opener against uh, skc last year he was kind of it was somewhat similar but that was a different situation where atlanta united had a big lead it wasn't like early in a game in a you know 
nil-nil game at that point in time uh, where I feel like maybe he would have been a little bit more tentative just with his positioning, but I think clearly he's just so full of confidence and he's scored the goals already. You know, he feels full license, and I'm sure Gonzalo Pinedo wants him, to, obviously, to be making those runs, and it's certainly paying off for him. So really happy to see that. You know, I, I just was looking at the at MLS stats. Um, Tiago Almada's the leading goal scorer and the leading assister, and mm-hmm. uh, Caleb Wiley's second in MLS in uh, goal contributions, goals plus assists, with like five, I think. Yeah, so yeah. decent, yeah. decent, decent, decent. I, I mean, from there. Atlanta United a little more than decent. Uh, they take off. They they only found really a kind of a, a few shots the rest of the half, but that doesn't tell the full story. There was a ton of half, maybe just barely missed chances. There were the the few offside calls on your goes that nearly resulted in goals. I mean, the, the final XG tally in this one ended up with Atlanta United having three XG to Portland 0.7. And it could have been way, way worse. Mm-hmm. It could have been way, way worse in the XG. It could have been way, way worse on the actual scoreboard. It was just a, a full-on destruction of this team. The, I mean, and we can talk about it. Let's let's talk about our normal caveats that we have to have with this thing. And we can still say at this point that Atlanta United has not done this against the best of the best in MLS. This Portland team missing... Six attackers, essentially six starting level attackers. Mm-hmm. They had to revert to a, a, a five-three-two, which is definitely not their preferred play style. Uh, they're usually at a four-two-three-one. Uh, they were missing a lot of folks. But what was weird about it, and what I just genuinely don't understand, is they kind of came out with a high line in the mid block. <laughs> it's like they heard me talking shit the entire week about how they were going to bunker and all this kind of stuff and said, well, no, look at me now, dad. And then did a high line and it burned them. It burned them over and over again. Of course, part of that is game state. That first goal is crucial because he changed the yeah. game state. The first goal from Eric Williamson, not being allowed crucial because I bet they probably would have sat in after they got that first goal, uh, except it was disallowed. And I think, I think we, Joe, we can probably file. We won't talk about the call too much, but we can probably file that call under harsh, but technically correct. Right. Yeah. I don't love the rule, yeah. but it is the rule, you know, and rule. that's what that, yeah. I mean. Yeah. So personally, uh, from my point of view that I was going by, that's really cool. So you got to count it. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 Uh, but the refs, they can't do that. Unfortunately, that Williamson strike, it did totally remind me of like a Tito Vialba strike where he just like dribbles somebody <laughs> and like toes it with velocity into the corner. <laughs> it was great. I mean, it was incredible. It shot. was an incredible play. It's kind of a bummer for him that yeah. it got it pulled back. But you know what? It kept the game state even. Atlanta United takes the lead. And at that point, they're right. piling on. The game is open and they can do whatever they want. I think it really did spark a reaction from Atlanta United there uh, after that goal. I thought that they were right on their stuff right after that. Well, I mean, even if that goal hadn't been taken back, it was really interesting to see Yurgos's reaction to that goal. He takes the ball to the center line, puts it down and starts doing the, the arm waving oh, really? the crowd thing. <laughs> yeah. And everyone responded to it. Nice. You know, nice. it was really interesting to see that be his mentality and that be his mindset in a place where he is the guy, but also the new guy, the new guy. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It was a really interesting understanding of what the crowd can do. I think for, for him and for his teammates. Mm-hmm. And so you got the double boost, right? You got the, the crowd, trying to pump up the team after the, the tough incident goes down. And then you got the boost from VAR going over and say, okay, now there was a player in the way of Brad Gazan, no goal. It's, yeah. It's encouraging. It's yeah. encouraging. Yeah. 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 yeah, absolutely. All right. A few things go down Atlanta and get some chances, et cetera, et cetera. And then our friend, friend, our friend, Luis Maviala, who dead ass Joe, I'm typing out this tweet as Tiago Amato lines up to take this free kick. I was like, I remember the last time Larry Smaviala committed a really dumb foul in that very same half of Mercedes-Benz Stadium. And do you remember, Joe? I'm wondering. Mm, I'm, I'm, I am picking up the pieces of what you're laying down here. <laughs> so it Miguel before, that serves it in to uh, little Joseph Flick and then Franco Escobar at the back post? 
That's exactly right. So right before that, I believe he hopped on. He like literally hopped on Joe Martinez's back. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's never been a, a, a very good day for Larice in, in Atlanta, and you know, it, anytime he seems to foul somebody in, in that half, that uh-huh. particular half of the stadium, uh, good things seem to happen for Atlanta United. This was uh, not only a good thing, but one of the most special on-field things I've ever seen <laughs> anyone do. So they're setting up the wall, right? And I want to point out that once again, Atlanta United had their own three-man wall in front of Portland's wall, right? And Nick Romando, the former keeper, actually did like a quick tweet thread about this. I thought oh, it was kind of Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, but he gets to the wrong conclusion. It's, it's interesting that he gets to the wrong conclusion, <laughs> but I think he gets to the wrong conclusion. Okay. So essentially like seven people on the wall at that point, it's tough to see. Uh, Ramondo's criticism of this is going to be that there are too many Portland folks in that wall and that's going to block the keeper. Uh, Atlanta's goal is obviously to have those three folks there to help block the keeper as well. That's all well and good. Great job, guys. You, you stood there. You did the thing. The team has worked on that. It's part of the process. Aljaz Ivacic. Good Lord, I can't say that dude's name. Uh, the goalkeeper for Portland. Probably doesn't see the ball all that well. Let's be real. Probably doesn't see the ball all that well. Yeah. But in every single timeline, he is going <laughs> right as soon as that ball is kicked. Right, right. He is going to the post that every normal human in the entire soccer playing world would go to. Right? Uh-huh. He takes that big step to the right because, of course, he does. And at that point, he's just fucking doomed. Right. <laughs> Nick Ramondo can blame the wall all he wants. But as soon as Ivacic took that step, uh, no way. No way. Unreal. I can't believe when he made the choice to go to that post, I legit just thought he shanked it. Yeah. I was like, well, that was weird. Well, I saw the fly to the ball. I was like, well, that that was right. Weird, right. Weird choice. <laughs> oh, well, OK. <laughs> isn't it kind of we I mean, it's funny because I when I was watching some of these highlights and just watching the dip. Remember last week when we were talking about like it was just like a random shot that Almada took at some point in the game. Remember when we were like, remember that shot that he took? That was like we all thought it was like a bad shot. I was going out and then all of a sudden it <laughs> dipped violently at the end, like hit like the. Mm-hmm almost went in uh yeah i mean that was absolutely incredible you love a goal like that where every replay you see it's like oh my gosh oh my gosh it's like everyone gets <laughs> even better oh my gosh it was just incredible it was incredible for me for other reasons too but i mean it was it was just a fantastic fantastic goal yeah so your, your wallet feeling a little heavy today <laughs> It, yeah. Uh, it, anyway, Atlanta United's wallet going to be really heavy pretty soon, I think, too, as Tiago yeah. oh. you just well played. I mean, so, I, so I've been having discussions with people. Right. Yeah. And part of those discussions have centered around what Almada's transfer fee might look like, you know, and, and the obvious comparison is Miguel Amarone. Mm-hmm. You know, Miguel Amarone. I believe he was like 24, 25-ish, 23-ish, 24-ish when he went to Newcastle. You know, Tiago Amada's 21 this year. Oh, you're talking about age. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Um, And, you know, I I think that factors into it. But but what I've heard from some other folks is that, you know, maybe uh, Almada doesn't have the same physical skill set as Miguel and that's makes him less valuable to teams. And that's true. That's true. Very few people I think are, are as fast and a straight line as Miguel on with the ball. Yeah. You know, um, but it's interesting to me. I'm just kind of asking around that the people have maybe indicated that he may not break Almiron's record. Really? For a transfer fee, you know? Okay. And yeah. that's, that's interesting to me. Yeah. It's interesting to me because I don't think I agree. Yeah. I I don't either. I definitely don't. I, I get I the the one argument I would make in that it, you know just to play devil's advocate to agree with with those people is that the market right now is not what it was back then. Like I think we were in a very frothy market around the time that Miguel Almiron was sold to Newcastle, um, and he went for what twenty seven million U S dollars. Mm-hmm. I think something like that. Um, 
But, you know, I have something coming out in my thoughts column that will come out on Monday since I was out of town this weekend, um, which is that I think uh, Tiago Mata is the best player to play for Atlanta United in their history. Just as a for a, just when you just look at a, a, a soccer player and his skill set and what he does for a team, Joseph Martinez has been an icon. And, he, and I'm not saying that Tiago Mata has been like the most successful Atlanta United player because Joseph Martinez has a golden boot and an MVP and obviously, you know, Martinez and Miguel have MLS cups that they've raised with the Lane United, but just from how good a player is, I think Thiago Amada is the best. And I don't think it's honestly that close. Like, I, I think that just the way you see him buzz around the field, he's like, his work rate is insane. When you look at when the team is in possession, he is busting his ass to get around the ball and to give his teammates options to to pass to and give himself in, in dangerous positions. He gets everybody involved. He sprays the ball out to Brooks Lennon. He plays Yorgos in behind. He's he's doing a little bit of everything. He's scoring goals on free kicks. He's, you know, again, he's leading MLS in goals and assists right now. Obviously, that's not gonna keep up for the rest of the season, most likely, but I just think he's I just think he's an absolutely incredible talent. I think I would go so far as to say that I think it's possible that he and this is in the best timeline for him, but like I think he could win a Ballon d'Or in his career. Like I think we're talking about that level of player that where he could get to at some point in his career. I know it sounds crazy because he's playing in MLS right now and that, you know, people aren't used to that. Um but that's where I stand on it. I don't think I think I think that that's flawed logic to think that like, you know, his talent, his ceiling is at a certain level because he's playing in MLS or for Atlanta United right now. And again, he's only 21. Like it's his play, his level of play is so good right now. You would not, you just wouldn't, you don't think he's 21 when he's playing. I think future balloon door winner Tiago Mata might be just getting him. That's the best timeline, but I, mean, I think I think that's that's, that's wow, that's a hell of a timeline. <laughs> <laughs> that's a hell of a timeline. Can he be a, a player who contributes for an elite team? I think yeah. I mean, would like. I want Tottenham to sign him. I'm a Tottenham fan. I want I want Tottenham to sign him. Would you want Liverpool to sign him? No, but that's for personal reasons. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I like. I think that, that he would can, not fix Liverpool's midfield anyway. Sure. So I guess my point is like, I think he can go to a top club and. Okay, maybe Tottenham's not a top club, but like you know, I, I think that a lot of <laughs> well, fans of top clubs would look at him and 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 say that he could be you know a very important player for their team yeah for sure for sure i, I mean like coutinho comes to mind it's mm-hmm. kind of a similar makeup uh dimitri payet things like that and i think that level is attainable for the near term though like as far as transfer fees go and everything like that I, w- I would just be very surprised if it is one if the fee is less than almiron's two if atlanta united even listens to offers that are you know around like the 20 25 million uh, number that I've kind of seen thrown around, mm-hmm. you know, I think it's got to be more will, than that. Will Garth get out of bed? Will Garth get out of bed for a $25 million <laughs> offer? Uh, maybe out of bed, but you know, I don't know if he's putting his slippers on and actually walking downstairs and yeah. all that kind of stuff. You yeah. know? So it's an interesting question. I, I, would, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, yeah, this will be the raging debate that goes on, um, you know, amongst MLS fans, amongst Atlanta United fans. Uh, probably until it happens like how much is he going to go for eventually i think the more interesting question just generally is when is he going to (laughs) go when is he going to go for lane united because you know the thinking has been that he would probably leave this summer when the market's hot we've talked about you know garth he likes to deal in that window but golly if he's like the runaway easily best player in the league and atlanta united is top of the table it seems impossible kind of to move on from a player especially you know at that point he would be so important to Gonzalo and what he wants to do and how he has the team functioning uh, it's, it's interesting situation I think yeah, the, I, I didn't think the better he plays the longer they'll be able to hold on to him and and just keep him through the rest of the season yeah I think that's true a bit from a team perspective but from his perspective you know the better he plays the more he's going to say well no it's it's time no doubt you know he's got no real allegiance to Atlanta United or anything like that like yeah. his career path is one that winning MLS Cup would be a little 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 blip yeah little I, blip on what he wants to do if things keep going like this I think that 
he will go after the season. I think he'll go. I think he'll leave in the winter. But I think that that move would generally be done in principle in the summer. Like I, I and yeah, I, I, I think and I don't, think, I don't think it will be announced alone. I think that they'll just kind of they will basically have a deal arranged and ready to go after the season. That's my guess. For sure. For sure. Well, the dilemma too for Atlanta United is, I mean, you told this kid that you would get him to Europe. You would get Mm -hmm. him to one of these big teams. Mm -hmm. And so when one of those teams comes calling, you're all of a sudden going to say, well, what if we didn't? What if we didn't for a few months? Mm -hmm. That's a tough sell. Yeah. That's a tough sell reputationally and and just interpersonally with him, you know? So it's a tough question. Again, I think like you put it, the best case scenario is, you set up that thing for the winter and you set up that move and everyone is happy with it and everyone is cool with it and everyone is ready to to get the job done for a team that in theory could be set up to to win trophies could be at that level where, could be good enough where are they in the power rankings uh well we don't know yet i haven't voted yet okay vote monday where do you i mean I'm but guessing, where, where would you where would you place them in the power rankings uh i'm gonna keep lafc first Going to probably consider. Uh, <laughs> look, it's a group right yeah, now. Of think, like Seattle, St. Louis, St. Louis, yeah, Atlanta, and uh, I guess Cincy. We're at a point in the season where it's like I feel, I feel like you like, do kind of have to take context from previous seasons into your into account of how good you think teams are right now, just because the current season's sample size is so small. You can't hmm. just you know base a team's ability off of pure, like the results of four games. Um, but clearly, I mean, with what's happened in these four games, Atlanta United is, you know, among the top two or three, at least. Yeah. Other teams aren't doing this. Yeah. Other teams are doing this. Gold differential is like plus eight. And I think that's fair. It's going to be interesting when they come up against a midfield that can really handle them. And I think we'll probably see that in the clearest way against NYCFC mm-hmm. in a few weeks. That that's the one that's really, really intriguing to me. I think it's totally winnable. Mm-hmm. You know, and they've uh, only but, had one road game. It was a short road trip yep. against a bad team. So you got that. And MLS is tough. MLS is tough. Yeah, we've got questions about it. People are making fun of me for my progress isn't linear thing that I like to say because it clearly has been linear over the past <laughs> four games. <laughs> right. You know, linear yeah. in like an incredible way. It kind of yeah. seems like they might win ten nothing next week. Who yeah. knows? Uh, but progress isn't linear and they will eventually hit some walls there will be struggles to some extent um, it's not going to be this easy the whole time speaking of progress can we before we get into questions i, I did want to mention something about gonzalo pineda i was just watching the post-game press conference that he did on youtube what's that did you do this hold on. did did you see my tweet about no this? no i, I didn't no. oh we came to the same conclusion i'm very excited about this keep going yeah, yeah yeah i just thought that he struck actually the 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 perfect tone in his post-game presser i thought that you know he was kind of he sounded like he was bored to be there (laughs) he sounded like he was like uh you know we need to get better we need to improve like that is exactly the right tone to strike when everyone's in delirium around you in total ecstasy you know um it's something that i've always noted and i wrote i'm writing this in the call my five four thoughts that will come out tomorrow but on Monday, um, Brian Snicker always struck me as someone who did this, where it's like when the Braves lost, he would actually be a little bit more kind of like outgoing and, you know, talkative and kind of upbeat. And after a win, especially a, a big Braves win, he would kind of be really like sleepy and just like not like, like you know, he would just kind of be like, ho, ho, hum, you know, whatever. And, and I think that that's kind of the right approach to take when you're trying to kind of stabilize a team over the course of a long season. It's still very early in this year. So I think it's uh, the right tone for him to strike, not getting kind of too hyped after the game. We had a pretty long discussion last year at some point uh, about this exact thing where we pointed out that like, this is kind of the blueprint, right? When the team is down, you try to lift them up. Uh, When they're up, you try to push them further. It's just the team was never up exactly, exactly. at any point. And in the few moments that you they were, you could see Gonzalo kind of shift yeah. towards that. Yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> and it was really apparent that that was what was happening. It was also apparent that at times it could have used, the framework could have been bent a little bit to fit the situation just a little better, right? Because it was frustrating to some extent to to mm-hmm. hear the, the positivity about 
the XG and the everything like that without the context of game state and everything like that, which he mm-hmm. eventually, you know, shifted on publicly in the lead up to this season. Okay. And talking about what the problems were last season, right? Cause that's the, the public push you want to make for the team. You know, you don't talk about it when, when they're down, you aren't going to like drag them down even more and everything like that. Uh, you make that shift then. And obviously it's paying off a little bit, you know, but yeah, I noticed the exact same thing. He, in the first question, it, it somehow worked around to him talking about how annoyed he was that they didn't keep a clean sheet. <laughs> like what? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Like any Perfect. reasonable person, yeah. no. What are you talking about? And you it, know, and but it, in yeah. coach speak, nailed it. And it brought me back to that Toronto post game when he's like, after a disappointing one-one draw, he's like, "We were near perfection," which mm-hmm. and like to me, that's him. He's like trying to kind of. You know, again, when you're down, it's, you're not down so much. When you're up, you're not up so much. You're, 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 you know, you just got to keep it steady. So, yeah, I think I it was giggle, I, I laughed at you kind of talking about like his demeanor and everything like that because I had the same thought too. It's like he uh, did like the backstage like acting warm ups beforehand, <laughs> yeah. you know, like maybe did like the ping pong thing in a circle with like his fellow troop mates beforehand just to get in the proper headspace of uh-huh. the kind of improv and acting he needed to do be really stoic and sad about the big win yeah Yeah. um it's look it's important to do these things as transparent as it is to to us and probably you too you know uh, because for for other folks it may not be so clear (laughs) you know it works it works it works as a general thesis for managing the media and, and using that as a tool for benefiting the team in the long term yeah you know yeah and so Good for Gonzo. I'm, I'm happy for him personally to, to see the team be successful. Um, I'm happy to see all the people who tweeted Pineda out at me over the, <laughs> the offseason. And mm-hmm. as I kind of like said, wait, no, 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 no. Look at the tactics and everything like that. It's actually going pretty OK. All considered. Yeah. Last year. Uh, I'm, I'm happy for them to be sad. I had to. Yeah. I had to, I had to check for those people in the YouTube comments as well that I, are typically in there like Pineda out. Pineda's terrible. <laughs> all this stuff. And don't get me wrong, like me and you both agreed that like his job was kind of like his job was kind of riding on the season. I think it still is. You know, we're again, we're four games in. Who knows yeah. what's going to happen? But um but that wasn't never to say that he's done a bad job, like done like a straight up bad job up until now. It's just that there are a lot of circumstances, a lot of context, contextual reasons why his job may have been in question um, coming into this year. And clearly he's getting off to a good start in that regard. I want to actually talk about that sure. real quick. And I have a big article in the striker coming out about an idea that we're going to talk about a lot, Joe Patrick, on this show. And the basic thing I want to call it is nine plus two. Nine plus two is a framework, maybe not super scientific and mathematical in most senses. It's more, uh, it's more just kind of like I said, like, like a framework, like a framework for understanding how to develop young players and how to assess results. Right. So if you have nine starters in the game, nine starting caliber players, Mm -hmm. right? And two non-starting caliber players. Mm -hmm. You can generally be okay in MLS. This is, this goes back to Seattle. This was kind of the brainchild of Ravi Rabinini, who is now a source football. that's working with Atlanta United and who was Seattle's data analyst under Garth for many years, you know, and and won them a whole bunch of trophies. So if you have the nine plus two, you're doing pretty okay. Eight plus three, the results kind of start to suffer, uh, seven plus four, you're in trouble, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so if you have four folks in the lineup that aren't in what you would call your ideal 11, mm-hmm. essentially your ideal players, you're in trouble, mm. you're in trouble. And so what I did is I mapped out each and every game and it's very subjective, but I mapped out each and every game from last season and went, okay, was this a nine plus two? Was this an eight plus three? Was this a seven plus four? Interesting. Wow. There were, I think I got to like 18 games, 17 games where Atlanta was seven plus four. Yeah. 11 games where they were eight plus three, uh, like a few games where they were nine plus two and like one game where they were 10 plus one. Huh. Yeah. That's it. And yeah. that's what Gonzalo Pineda was dealing with last year. Yeah. Last yeah. night was I'm an 11 plus zero. Uh, yeah, it, I think it, it, it might have been. been. It may have been. Well, and that's what's wild is like, 
it certainly felt like an 11 plus zero, but you also have like, you know, Luis Abram on the bench. Um, mm-hmm. You still have Derek Etienne on the bench. Like, yeah, I mean, we've been talking about it for a couple weeks now, but it, there's just a lot more depth to this team and it's a good problem to have. And I would even go and I would also add to the that research that you were doing on the team last year. Not only did you have a lot of those games that were like seven plus fours, but a lot of those were like uh, all the players you're missing are like at the goal, goalkeeper, center back, fullback, like, <laughs> right, yeah, <laughs> like uh-huh. in uh, very crucial and like lumped together areas, position groups. So even adds kind of insult to injury. And by the way, Hey, um, I would, I don't know if Joe, even having st- Joseph in the, in the starting lineup, if that's like, uh, I mean, it's he's he would have been your best option last year, but I don't even know if he's like. I had a really tough time assessing yeah. what to do with the strikers. Like, because do you consider Cisneros right. a, a member of like your 11? Yeah. You know, it yeah. doesn't have to be 11 players, by the way. I just want to say starting caliber players. Yeah. You know, and, above, well, above replacement level. And just to speak on, talk about Joseph real quick. I was looking this up because I was looking through some of the scores this morning on my phone from the games on Saturday and I uh, clicked Miami. So I'm always like interested to see what Joseph's doing in Miami. Clicked on him on the Fop Mob app. I see he had the fewest amount of touches of any player to play, you know, X amount of minutes in the game. And I started looking at some of his past numbers from the past games. He's he has like. 86 touches in four games started. Yeah. In like six shots, six shot attempts. And a lot of those came, I think, against NYCFC last week on the time. Yeah, pitch. yeah, yeah. That was the yeah, that was the standout. There was like basically one decent game surrounded by so three straight up bad games. So if you shrink the field below regulation level, <laughs> you have a guy who can find chances to, yeah, it's like, I think. Yeah, yeah. no, it's only going to get worse um, yeah. down there. Honestly, they just lost uh, Gregory, who was yeah. their most solidifying midfielder he's out for like six months yeah so it's frank it's gonna be a struggle yeah in, in inner miami and uh yeah and again, good luck well good and, luck i still can't believe they did that deal but good luck to him i mean to take it you know we've talked a lot about you know what's the striker position what does it do in gonzalo pineda's system because you know when joseph was here and obviously Cisneros, and you've covered this extensively sam's so just like the strikers were just not getting touches last year and it will be very interesting to see if uh, you know a player like Yorgos can can change that because he certainly seemed like he was getting a lot more involved in the game last night. Although I have no idea how many touches he had and actually kind of like how much he was involved in the in the build up plays. He was you know kind of poaching and doing that kind of thing. But it will be well, interesting I mean, to see how that the goes. Biggest thing it will be. Yeah, I mean, it'll just be a big the... upgraded striker with him over Joseph. Oh, I mean it's it's so it's immediately clear. Yeah. It's immediately clear. We can talk about the biggest thing, you know, which is just the fact that he was making runs that challenged the back line in right. a way that looked very similar to, to early Joseph. You know, he's getting in behind. He's making those runs. And he got called off a lot. There were a whole handful of offside calls against him. I count five. Five for your Siakamakis. Last Sam night. is smi- Sam the- is just smiling while he's reading like <laughs> the, all the, the offside calls off his computer. I'm so excited. <laughs> <He's> um, <laughs> listen, uh, I asked Johannes about this last night. It was about midway through the first half. They already had four offside calls against them, huh. and I was like, "What? What's like? When's the last time Atlanta had four offside calls in a game?" And yeah. he looked it up, and the record um, since 2021 was uh, six offside calls in a game against Atlanta United as a team and they had four in the first half Yurgos hmm. alone hmm. had five and why i'm smiling about that is because it's an indication that they're actually working to get in behind the back line mm-hmm. they're actually working to to make those runs to challenge to drag defenders to do all the things that create space and create better and more efficient opportunities for their teammates and so to have a striker get five offside calls in a game, yeah, uh, it's the kind of thing that not smart people would have called Joseph lazy for, you know. <laughs> well, I mean, especially if you look at the offsides that Yorgos had in that game, it was like you know intentional runs. He was you know kind of narrowly offside. It wasn't a matter of him like kind of standing in an offside position and a ball getting played up to him or something, you know something like that. It was it was close, and it feels like you know with a few more weeks of, you know, practice and gelling together and just reps on the field and games and stuff that those will hopefully be onside at some point and uh, he'll be in behind. I am a little bit worried about his ability to chase some of those through balls down. He was, uh, 
<laughs> He's definitely not as quick as uh, Joseph was. Not even close. But you don't think? To me, he looked. To me, he looked a little, a little just slow foot speed wise. Okay, interesting. But um, not that. Not that I think it's going to really hugely negatively impact the team. Um, because I think that the main benefit of him is to score goals like with his head, honestly, and just like be more of that big man in the box. And you know, you've got players like Caleb Wiley who are also making those runs, but yeah, I mean, I, he's I just not like a, he's just not like a fleet of foot. Like he's not like a speedy striker, you know. You don't it's think? His, I don't think it's his game, but we'll see. Maybe I'm, I could be yeah, wrong. I mean, to me, it looks I've like only seen him play big for like six foot one dude is hauling ass the entire time. Well, he's, but, I mean, yeah, yeah, he's, I'm yeah. I'm not saying he's necessarily slow. He's probably he's faster than uh, like Carol Swiderski. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, he is. Uh, look, uh, I think that's the most encouraging thing is that as soon as he got into the lineup, this team looked every bit as threatening as we hoped, and I think it might get better. I think there might be ways it can get better, yeah. And that's really exciting. Yeah. Also, really exciting, Joe Patrick, the fact that we're going to a quick break yes well 40 minutes in 40 minutes in before we get to a buttload of questions which i cannot wait to talk about but before we do that i want to remind everybody that this episode of five strike finals presented by our presenting partner lucid fc that's lucid footwear and clothing they have a shop in buckhead that's open by appointment and walk-ins from 1 to 8 p.m daily it's located at 3209 paces ferry place and they've got a new release i was actually just looking at their website uh lucidfc.us um they've got a new spring summer collection which is uh i don't know it's pretty cool it's kind of got their logo uh, like worked into some of the clothing designs and uh check it out lucidfc.us if that's your style of uh footwear and clothing then you're in good shape you can use dss on the website lucidfc.us uh for free shipping uh, in inside the united states i don't think you can get your uh free shipping to um uh, tanzania so you got to be inside the united states uh, and they have new releases that come out every Thursday, again, on their website, lucidfc.us. Thank you to LucidFC for uh, being a partner for the show for, for so long. You want to answer we some questions? we got to get them in that Tanzania market. Yeah, it's, I know. It's, it's too big of a chunk of our listener base to keep ignoring. <laughs> uh, let's go to the questions. Bad Comzanatos, who I met yesterday. Was good oh, nice. nice. Met a few folks at the uh, supporters group tailgate. I was walking around so, holding a sign hey. that said, ask me about the striker. Should should I just not come to the next home game too? By the way, like just for good luck. Yeah, I, I like I miss. I, I had so I, much leg room. I, I wasn't like able the, the I, press box. I spread out. Had my food and stuff next to me. I was, at, I was out of town for this game, and of course they play like the best game they've played in in years. So, well, I mean, I think part of that too is the fact that the bad com here uh, asked a question before the game, like as like a preemptive question. And the question was something to the effect of like, wow, can you believe that Almada, Gigi, and Wiley all scored? <laughs> Amazing. Really impressive stuff. <laughs> really impressive ever, and powerful stuff have, there. Have you ever read the uh, Matt Christopher book, Ice Magic, where they like find like one of those old, uh, it's like these kids and they find like an old like um, hockey rink where you like push and pull the little rods and the player skates around and like whatever happens in the little game they play on the rods, like that's what happens in the kids like rec ice hockey game. And then like, the pinnacle of the book is like one of the players breaks his breaks his leg like like one of the like his leg snaps off and the and the main characters had a had a loose skate his whole season and he's wanted a new ones for christmas guess what I happens think matt christopher has a higher body count than <laughs> than maybe like stephen king we should check into this <laughs> i'm just wondering i wonder where but he anyway, is i hope he's happy ice magic uh, bad comatos is like soccer magic here Exactly. Exactly. Uh, let's see. His question is, and I'll, I'll try to read this as best I can. <laughs> Which, yeah, I would, think that's a would, fair assessment. I hope everybody got the exclamation points that were on the end of that. Yeah, lots of things there. I, I think I think everyone was just real excited and started mashing the keyboard at one point last yes, night. Uh, yes. but, but shout out to Badcom for the good portrayal. I mean, that translates in every language. I think so. I think so. We're building bridges here on five straight final uh super soft free kick party says does this mean that change really actually is linear uh, again like a great point like so far i have been totally wrong about progress not being maybe linear it because is it has been because yeah. maybe it is even maybe parker is. even parker's was saying it's not linear and when we talk to him for all of mm-hmm. our patrons you can go and listen to it great interview look 
it's MLS. They're going to be more road games. There's going to be more goofy stuff. The the idea is to be as effective as possible, despite all that. You know, and that's that's the big challenge. It's dealing with the depth problems and dealing with the limited rosters and dealing with all the things that make MLS weird, including travel and all that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So we'll find out more about how this team can handle it. But I feel really good about the mentality that seems a whole. I feel really good about the leadership in the locker room with guys like Gazan, with guys like Derek Etienne Jr. Uh, and with Yorgos, who seems to have just immediately clicked yeah. with like everyone. So really excited about all that. And I think, you know, it won't be linear, but I think sustained success is very possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Go JD says, how different do you think this game would have gone if the early Portland goal stands? It's a very good question. It's a very good question. Except for the part where it didn't happen. But it's a good question. <laughs> and yeah, I think it would have been more difficult. I still don't really yeah, understand what Gio Severese was trying to, to do, to be totally honest. You have no healthy players. You do have some healthy center backs. You're in a 5-3-2. Why are you playing a mid-block with mm-hmm. a higher line than you need to play? Because mm-hmm. I wrote before the game, it, this, you know, kind of around the went around the internet about me like being like, oh God, they're going to bunker and it's going to be terrible. Atlanta's not going to score. Um, it, but it seemed like they were going to sit back and, mm-hmm. and be as deep as possible. That didn't happen. And I don't really know why. Yeah. It kind of seemed like the one time I would have been cool with Portland actually doing that. Right. If they would have gotten that goal, then I think it would have been, they would have more naturally fell into a tactical system that would have worked a lot better in that game, given the personnel that they had on the field. But instead they got stuck in that Chris Armas land. Yeah, exactly. Oh, it's a, that's a great description of it. Yeah, it was totally like not committed enough to really be effective. You know, mm-hmm. it, it hurt him. It hurt him in a big way, apparently. Uh, again, game state, though. Game state. We'll keep harping on that. Mm-hmm. Critical. As soon as as soon as Portland started the chase, it got way worse for them. It would have been really hard on Atlanta United, too, because, you know, you could be very critical of the team for, you know, if, if this would have happened, even if it gets overturned, if they would have, you know, conceded something soft. But honestly, that goal was just a one that comes out of nowhere. And it's hard to really fault anybody when you have something like that scored against you. It's just fortunate that the guy was indeed offside. So it got overturned. But, you know, guy gets dribbled. I don't know who it was. Was it uh, Ibarra I, I don't know who it was but somebody got dribbled and then the shot you know goes into the side of the net Gazan could had nothing would never have got to that no matter what who was in front of him or not super soft free kick party <laughs> right super soft free kick party says as fun as that game was to watch last night how much of that dominant performance can we attribute to our team performance and how much can we attribute to the fact that Portland is missing eight players look yeah it plays a part in it all right like you can't pretend that missing Evander and Sebastian Blanco and all these other guys isn't a big deal for Portland. Do I think Portland's all that good anyway? No, but still, mm-hmm. they, they were missing critical parts of their attack. Mm-hmm. So it, it's part of it. It's part of it. Yeah. There's no reason to really doubt what you're seeing at this point. You're seeing all of the tactical pieces and all the personnel come together in a way that is creating effective and attractive soccer. And you can't bullshit that right that's not something you can just fake right you yeah. can mess around and like pick up points the way orlando did last year mm-hmm. by winning like a whole bunch of one 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 nothing games mm-hmm. but you can't fake effective and attractive soccer you yeah. just can't and you're probably not going to beat a good team 5-1 like you're, you're probably just that's just not going to happen if it, if it does if it were to ever happen it's probably just you know an anomaly that happens in that game, similar to the, the anomaly that happens here where Portland's missing eight players. But again, we kind of talked about this in Charlotte because, again, in that game, there was similar kind of caveats that you could have about you know, the level of opposition or whatever and how that you know, how that really reflects on the final result of the game. But ultimately, this game was about Atlanta United, you know, putting the the gas pedal down and not letting off until the end of the game. And that's what everybody wants to see. And they were able to be effective with the ball. So whoever you're playing, that's all they can do. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, we have a very five-star final question here from Ian Yergos who says, not to be negative Nelson, but what are one or two things that happen in the game that plant seeds of concern? I tried to think about this. Uh, one thing I was maybe not concerned about, but there was enough to plant a conceited concern was Louise missing a pretty wide open chance. 
at one point. He did eventually get the goal, mm-hmm. of course, but he didn't miss a chance that everyone in the press box went, oh, God, he's got the yips, <laughs> doesn't he? Uh, so that's one thing. The other thing would be, Joe, think of another thing. I mean, mine would be something we already touched on, which is, again, maybe it's interesting that you didn't think this, but I just thought Yorgos looked kind of, I don't know, a little bit just slower on his feet than I expected. There was one in particular where he was offside. The ball was played through and actually like a fullback came in, sprinted in and beat him um, to the ball. So, but again, that's really nitpicking. Um, um, I'm excited for the Joe Patrick Yurgo Sakamaki's foot race. Personally. <laughs> oh no, we'll do whatever. We'll do like 60 meters. We'll see you once. Just, just say. Oh, I'll join too. Dear It'll God, dear God. <laughs> um, There's not that much else negative, honestly. I, I don't no, know. I could I really couldn't think of anything. Not a single thing. Are they didn't uh, keep the clean sheet. Yeah, that's, that, that's, that's my Aaron Panetta. I keep forgetting Portland scored. <laughs> Uh, Captive State says, how much of this is due to Gigi? Is he the kind of player that makes everyone around him better? I think so. Yeah. I think so. I think his movement and everything like that. You can see quickly the difference between a good player like Miguel Berry and a a pretty elite player like Gigi and what that does for this team. Totally. Tactically, his movement, all that. But I also just think to, to the point that you were making earlier, Sam, about him like putting the ball down on the spot and like, you know, waving to the fans like. I think that's real. Like there's like something real about that, that energizes the team and just energizes everybody that, you know, again, quite frankly, Joseph was not offering that last year. Like he was kind of checked out. It seemed to me. So, um, yeah, I think for that reason as well, he kind of makes everybody better, more demanding. Rubber anchor says question for the show. It's clear that this is a different team from the end of last year. What changes do you think are from the team side? Versus the coaching and tactic side. In other words, do you see fundamental changes in Pineda's game model or just a team that finally follows it correctly? It's the last thing. It's the latter. It's the latter. I wrote something for the striker sometime during the offseason, just essentially asking the question, is there something wrong with Gonzalo Pineda's game model? And the answer I came to was unequivocally no. Nothing's wrong with the game model. It's not the game model at all. It's the execution, which doesn't come unless you have continuity and which doesn't come unless you have the personnel in place that can execute it effectively. My thing with managers, and this is a a thing straight from, I think John Moeller is kind of a big proponent of this. The managers don't really matter all that much. And a lot of managers will tell you the managers don't really matter all that much, right? All they can really do is essentially go to the Smetzer school of things and set up things in a way that makes everyone like five to 10% better, right? Sets up the team to be effective. Mm-hmm. It's far more likely that a manager will ruin things <laughs> than they will actually benefit <laughs> a team you know and, yeah. and i think gonzalo Pineda's tactics fit this team enough to where he's kind of on that edge of like okay it fits well enough that it clearly isn't ruining things and the team is probably getting a little bit better because of it i think there's truth to that yeah I think there's truth to that yeah no doubt about it i agree i mean Again, yeah, I think it's down to the continuity, the confidence that players have, not only in themselves, but in their teammates and how that impacts one's ability to execute tactics uh, in the proper way, where you have your first team goalkeeper, you have your center back pairing, you have, you know, your you just everybody's healthy. So you just have confidence that everybody's going to be able to to do their job and for the most part this season they have been. So uh, I think that's the the main reason why this team is performing much better. I don't think it was like who <laughs> anyone who thinks that like the one of the main reasons why last year was so bad was cuz like Gonzalo Pineda's like setting them up in the wrong formation or something is I mean it's just like a I'm not saying anyway saying that ex- exactly, but anyway it was basically blame laying most or a significant part of the blame on Pineda is ridiculous. I mean, just look at that exactly. team. You had freaking Rocco's Rios Novo starting in goal. In goal. <laughs> now, I mean, you could probably bash him a little bit for keeping him in goal that long. Maybe, okay, but yeah. Not, yeah. Like, we we know, certainly had our critiques. It wasn't for the sure, game model. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It wasn't the game model. It, I, I've shared this story before, but I was talking to a coach in Seattle 
who was still associated with Seattle, so I won't share their name, but it was mentioned that, you know, you go to all the, the coaching license courses and everything like that, and people talk about, like, what other managers who have come through the same courses have done. And the guy was telling the story about one of the instructors, and the instructor said pretty upfront that two people have come through here with the clearest game models and the clearest understanding of how to execute on those models. The first one is Wilfred Nance. That worked out pretty well for Montreal and will work out pretty well for Columbus soon. The other one was Gonzalo Pineda. Hmm. You know, that this has never been a question of game model or anything like that. I mean, this is just about getting the right pieces in place and getting a, a guy in here who is going to be here for the long term, I think, mm-hmm. going to keep the locker room in the right shape and keep everything flowing. And I think, I think he's, I think he's the guy I've said this before. I think he's the guy. You just got to be patient with it. And maybe not all that patient anymore. <laughs> maybe it's now, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Agree with all that. Uh, let's see. Uh, Kurt Castle says, has there been one specific improvement that's led to our change in form or just inter- incremental improvement across the board? Uh, one specific I think it's I think it's the runs. I think I think it's just the the runs uh, in behind again, like the things we saw from Caleb Wiley, the way that you've you know we've talked about Yorgos, the way he's been playing in terms of like the style of trying to make those runs in behind. To me, that's the biggest difference. And there's just seems to be this team seems a lot more potent on the counter, and also you know they're doing a good job transitioning into those you know recognizing the turnovers in play and you know that first second one to five seconds after a turnover is so important in terms of making the right movements to get in the right positions and to me that's what this team is doing really well that's setting them up for to score all these goals that they've been scoring so far agreed it all feeds into each other it all feeds into each other uh curse of kid says if you got a greater offer for wiley would you sell in the summer i would not <sighs> I'm, I'm a hard no on this and it's because okay. and it's because of something that teoto football you know he like it was like the Eureka go, light going off for me, which is that MLS is not played like football manager where, you know, you're just trying to like essentially make as much money as possible in the transfer windows. And then you just pump all that money back into your team. That's not the way that the, the salary cap works in this league. So the thing you really want to optimize is the amount of talent you have on the field um, at all times. If you could sell Caleb Wiley for like, you know, X, X million and then just buy somebody for X million to put into the team, then that would be a different conversation, but they ultimately won't be able to do that. They, they would, all that money would go to the club, but they can't put it right back into the roster. So that's why it would be a hard no, but I do think he is looking very likely to go after this season, considering the way he's playing. I was initially, I was initially going to say, yeah, I think you might consider it, but you, you totally swayed me there. That's a much better way to think about it. Listen to Joe. Always listen to Joe. Hey, the all TF. Teal football. Smart guy. Uh, Rubber Anchor says, uh, any advice on seeing the bright side of how amazing Amato has been instead of dreading what happens after we sell him, whether that's in the summer or the fall? I mean, look, if you can't like at least appreciate the skill on display here, I think that's on you. <laughs> I'll just leave it at that, I guess. Yeah. Uh, we're pretty big bummers around here, but we're not like that big to say <laughs> no don't don't enjoy the amazing free kick goal he's going to leave in a few months from now yeah don't, yeah it's like it's like that. miles yeah you, know, you just enjoy it enjoy the moment don't be worrying about what's going to happen in the future exactly exactly curse of kids says what's your midfield next week assuming cassette is still out uh we don't really want to get into this i don't think just because there's going to be a ton of people missing Mm -hmm. for columbus it seems like just because international call-ups so it's going to be a weird one i will just say that i continue to think that amar sadich is the guy yeah more than hoseto is the guy hoseto is the guy yeah i tend to agree i think that it'll be interesting to see what gonzalo pineda does when when rosetto comes back and is available with sadich in this 11 is uh is Sadich in the 11 plus zero or is Rosetto in the 11 plus zero I, I went ahead and put all the midfielders in like the <laughs> they're all, the yeah. starting 11 caliber because they seem yeah. so interchangeable yeah, they are. I was like they fine are. Yeah. that's it doesn't matter uh you know? yeah so yeah but it matters a little bit I would rather have Sadich it's gonna be uh, it's gonna see. be an interesting looking team next week because you won't have Tiago Amada um mess, and that's everyone's gonna have a mess right right but I wonder if that's going to change 
the team shape a bit without having because there's not really a direct like for like replacement. I mean, nobody's going to re- be able to replace Tiago Almada's talent, but there's just nobody in the team that's that really does the things that he does as that attacking midfielder. Maybe Rosetto's the closest, but he leaves a lot to be desired in terms of you know end product and in, in and around the goal. So I don't know exactly how you fill that role. Tyler Wolf, Johnny Fortson, yeah, maybe maybe some, maybe some kids, we'll see. maybe. We'll see. Let's see. Uh, Pineda Head 17 says you can choose one contract for an upcoming free agent. Would you rather have Miles back on Zimmerman's DP deal or Gutman back on Lennon's TAM deal? I'm not sure. I don't think Gutman's an upcoming free agent, but I, I get the point of the question. Uh, look, I, I just don't feel confident in giving a DP deal to a center back. I'm the same. As good I'm as Miles same. is, I just mm-hmm. don't feel confident in it. Mm-hmm. That's, that's kind of where I'm at. I mean, Max he- TAM, sure. Let's roll. Yeah. I'm exact same thought. It's just it, who are you sacrificing? Because like if you put Miles yeah. on a DP contract, then you got to get rid of it. Like you're just gonna put Miles on a DP contract, sell Tiago Almada, and that's it. Well, you can't like, even do that because Miles wouldn't be a young DP, and you still have oh, all the right. 22s you have to clear out. So yeah, yeah, it, it's kind of a mess. I think you would just rather have Gutman on the TAM deal yeah. and, and not worry about everything too much. Yeah, we kind of touched on this with Michael Parkhurst about you know just like you know why he was kind of undervalued in his career. But again, that's one thing that just plays against center backs in general with based on, you know, MLS rules is it's, and it's always going to be hard for them to get these big deals. Uh, S McFarland says, who is the trainer Tiago Amato ran up to after the free kick? Is he maybe the one who works on set pieces with the team? No, uh, um, that's not the, this isn't coach. Uh, goodness. Diego. Yes. Diego um, Latore. Yes. Thank you so much. Uh, that's who has been coordinating set pieces and, that's who's responsible for corners and everything like that. Uh, the guy Tiago ran up to is Mario Cruz. He's the head athletic trainer. Mm-hmm. And Tiago said after the game that uh, Mario has helped with uh, ankle injuries and stuff like that in the past. And so he just wanted to celebrate with him. Uh, kind of a nice moment. Uh, first time caller says fast forward to October 21st decision day at Cincinnati. Are we playing for first in the East? And the answer is no, we're not playing for first in the East because it's uh, it's already wrapped up. It's already wrapped up. Oh, spicy. I like that. (laughs) I like that. Look, I think the goal for this team coming into the year was home playoff spot per Garth Lagerway. They're very much on track for that. Yeah. They're very much on track for that. Are they going to finish first? (sighs) That's tough. That's tough. Philadelphia is going to be low uh, just because of CCL. Cincinnati hasn't looked outstanding. it's possible. It's it's. I mean, sets up very well for them. They just have to be healthy. That's it. That's if they're healthy, and particularly Almada, like he can't really miss games. Um, if he has like a you know quad strain or something, he's out for two months. This team will probably drop more until the to the middle of the Eastern Conference or like the middle of the playoff range um, of the Eastern Conference. But if that doesn't happen, and they're again all the DPS especially stay healthy and are playing all the games. It's hard for me to see this team being any worse than like third in the Eastern Conference. Seems fair. Seems fair. Man of fact says before the season, I asked, are we closer to the shield or the spoon? And the answer was closer to the spoon. That was harsh from us, but probably accurate at the time. Can't remember when that question was asked. That's brutal. Man of fact now says, are we closer to Atlanta United of 2017 or the best team ever in MLS history? Uh, we're closer to Atlanta United 2017, but the question I want to ask is, is are they are they better than the 2017 Atlanta United? Because it kind of feels like there's a little more experience and cohesion on paper for this team. I think they definitely are. I think I think the 2017 Atlanta United team is actually a bit overrated. That's I, that's my hot take. I think that that team is a, a bit overrated just in general, the way that people think of that team. I want to say I think they still have the highest overperformance of just about any team ever when it comes to XG. Really? (laughs) That 2017 team? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like them and like Austin from last year. Hmm. Interesting. Something to keep in mind. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And they had your assessment is right. People forget they had some like really brutal losses and really boring (laughs) games, especially that team when they went on the road was terrible. They oh, lost to DC United on the road like three months. Where they like, oh, uh, yeah. it was like a nil nil draw or something that was just miserable. The DC games were miserable. Yeah. There were some really bad 2017 games. Those could be coming for all we know. Yeah. But it seems like this team, again, maybe a little more experienced and professional in how they handle results. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see, though. And it's more talented team, I think. Yeah. Uh, are they as good as 2018? No. No, they are not. No. But 
will 2024 be as good as 2018? Maybe better. Maybe better. I'm just saying. Uh, I am your ghost says now that we have had a chance to see the club in action. Do you think our priorities for the summer window have changed as far as priorities for the summer window? I mean, we talked a bit about like potential cell transfers out and everything like that with Almada and everything like that. That we'll assess that as it keeps going. The incoming transfer scenario has always been, there is room for a move right and really just kind of one move they have Mm -hmm. a couple roster spots open garth seems confident that there will be open cap space and i still think that if there is a move it will be for a midfielder it will be for an eight but we kind of have to assess what the needs actually are that's where i'm at with that yeah yeah i'm i'm the same but it's nice now that you've had some overperformance where it doesn't seem like you're desperately in need of any position particular position right now and they can just kind of play it by ear i'm sure there'll be some injuries or something um and they can fill in the gaps as they need to with the money that they have i wonder if you might see like a luis araujo sale or something like that that happens in summer he keeps like scoring randomly though i know i know it's i don't know i didn't think he was like like, i didn't think he was was bad by the way i like i feel like mm -mm. yeah i I thought he was good in the in the game He had one shot at the beginning of the game that missed from distance or he could have played it into the box and mm-hmm. Yurgos wanted it at his feet. He was like backing down someone mm-hmm. in the center of the 18-yard box and Yurgos got really frustrated with him actually. And I was like, oh, well, if he does that again, Yurgos is going to snap here. Yeah, uh, But he didn't do it again. He didn't do it again. And Atlanta had a ton of entries into the penalty area. Yeah, the only reason I bring up the, him potentially being sold is because in general, his performance obviously last year, what do you have, like four goals and five assists? And... When you're thinking about, you know, if you are going to move a DP in the summer window, which tends to be Garth's, you know, MO, he's the he's the movable one. He's the most. Well, I mean, Tiago will be movable, but can the club actually move him? Can, can they actually do that? I don't know. But Luis seems like a player who probably would be OK with a move to the right club. And I think Atlanta United would probably, you know, accept the move as well as long as they're feeling like they're not getting fleeced. All right, last one, Joe Patrick. Is Atlanta United back? Um, it, it, where are we it, on the back meter? So it's t- it's TBD, but Saturday night was back. Like Saturday night was back. They need to they need to have they need to show some sort of consistency uh, in the way and you know continuing to play in the manner they did on Saturday. But again. It's not just the goals per se, but it's the ruthlessness of the performance. It's the mm-hmm. the want from the players. You could see it on their faces and with the way that they were playing, running in on goal, each one of those players wanted to get themselves on the score sheet. They wanted to uh you know, sp- stand on their face with a hobnail boot. And so that's um if they continue to play like that, then yeah, this team will be back. What an exceedingly fair take. This seems back as hell, Joe Patrick. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> All right, y'all. Uh, check out the Patreon, patreon.com slash five stripe final. Uh, check out Dirty South Soccer. Check out Joe Patrick from time to time on 92.9 The Game. Giving check you out, updates and all sorts of stuff. Check out Sam Jones on The Striker. Best Atlanta United coverage you can find anywhere. Thank you. We, we got some good stuff coming up this week. Like I said, the nine plus two thing. We're going to go in depth on that. Uh, talk to Miguel Berry about how he's feeling. Uh, about Atlanta and his time here and he seems to really enjoy it super great dude really like Miguel a lot hope he's around as kind of that Will Bruin character for this team for for a while hell yeah and yeah plenty more good stuff coming up as well so nice. check that out and of course check out patreon.com slash five strike final we have all sorts of stuff there plus you can join the discord which is really fun right now yeah it's because there's a lot of hopping, stuff happening. right yeah uh, dude it's gonna be a good season I'm, I'm psyched I'm feeling good I'm feeling good. We, we've earned this we have me. I know. We've earned Lord it. knows we have earned it. <laughs> All right, y'all have earned the end of this episode. Let's get out of here. Bye y'all. for tuning in everyone to this completely arbitrary internet content piece.